Amen. Amen. It's good to be in church today, right? Amen. Well, hey, you guys can take a seat today. Find someone next to you. Give them a big high five. Tell them you're excited to be sitting next to them for the next few hours. Nah, I'm just kidding. Amen. Amen. If, um, if you're newer to our church, um, we firmly, firmly believe that the Lord at times will speak through his people to deliver messages to us as a church. Um, and we're, we're very excited when that happens, and we make no apologies for that. Um, we believe that God has a fresh word for us always, and in fact, we often pray that God will speak to us even more often, and that we'll hear more um, messages from him. When we read through the book of Acts in the early church, God often spoke to his people through the believers. And so we are very thankful for that today. And um, we just receive that word today. In fact, as I started to listen to it today or this morning, um, it kind of ties into a lot of what we're going to talk about here this morning. So uh, it makes my life a little bit easier here today. So I'm excited for that. But let's just thank God for the word that he brought us here today. Amen. Amen. He's good. He's met us. And I just get that sense that today is it's one of those Sundays. It's just one of those Sundays, you know, sometimes when we come to church Sunday after Sunday and we sing and we hear the message and we give our offerings, it can kind of feel routine at times, but then every once in a while there's those Sundays that just remind us that God is moving and there's nothing routine about our God. He can show up at any time and do whatever he wants and so we're just excited and let's just pray as a church as we move forward that there would be more Sundays like that, you know, let's, let's not come expecting a normalcy. Let's come expecting that God will move. This is, this is not my service. It's not Pastor Kurt's service. This is God's service. This is his time to move. And so we're, we're really excited for that. But uh, I'm excited to be with all of you guys today. If I've never met you before, my name is Josh and I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel and I'm just excited to be with you. Um, would you guys help me real fast? Um, we like to do this sometimes. Um, help us just welcome, give a hand clap to all of the people that are joining us online today. We're so excited. If, um, if you didn't know, we, we, we stream our services live both on our website and Facebook. And every Sunday we have a few hundred people that are watching live with us and we're excited for them. Uh, this is the only time that you'll ever be given permission to go on your phones during church. But if you have Facebook and you want to go on, share this uh, sermon with some of your friends, then just continue to spread the message of Jesus. We would love that. Um, but we're just excited for today. Um, I'm excited to share with you guys today here on what is kind of the first official Sunday of the summer. Um, I never quite know when summer actually begins. I've always just assumed it begins when school ends. That's kind of when I thought. But I did actually go and look, and it was the June 21st. was actually the first day of summer. But, you know, we're kind of right in now the summer. School's done. Graduation um, is over. And once again, we just want to say congratulations to all of you who graduated this year. High school, college, uh, middle school. We're excited for you. And just believe in God for great things in your life. But, you know, we're here into the summer. The weather's, you know, the weather's getting nicer. And so it's just an exciting time of year. How many of you are excited for the summer? You're excited for all that's coming. Amen. I know I'm excited for the summer, you know, time to, you know, rest and, you know, see some people I haven't seen in a while, you know, attend some parties or it's wedding season. So it's an exciting, exciting time. But as I got ready for this Sunday, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, um, I started thinking about like high school or middle school, I guess really school in general, and kind of the end of the school year and how that was like. And um, 
I guess depending on your experience, you may have a different view on school than I do. We all probably have a different view of school. Some of us, we loved school, you know, we thrived in it, whether it was because we were the social person or the athlete, whatever it may be, or you were the academic, like some of us loved school and you wish you could go back to school. Um, Some of us hated school. Like some of you just, you couldn't wait for school to be done, all right? And then there's some of us that are kind of in the middle that you didn't love it, you didn't hate it, you just, you knew you had to do it, you just kind of tolerated it, and you just went forward with it. But, so no, but no matter what your experience with school is, I think that there's probably one part of school that I think, to a degree, we all kind of enjoy. There was this one little part that happened normally the last week of school, at least this was how it happened for us, I don't know, every other school, but towards that last week of school, we'd be in class, um, normally the movies had started by then because the tests were all over and we were playing Uno and stuff like that. But the door would, there would be a knock at the door, a teacher would open it up, and someone would be there with a stack of yearbooks. They'd be there with the stack of yearbooks, and that was always like a highlight of the end of the year, when the yearbooks would arrive, and everyone would grab theirs, and everyone instantly would do what? They would go and find their picture. All right, we are all narcissistic that way. Um, everyone, as soon as they got their book, they didn't care about anything else, they just wanted to see their picture. All right, they ran, they found their picture, um, they wanted to see how much they changed over the last nine months, and then they'd start looking at everyone else's. Then you'd start, you know, then our egos even kicked in more. Then you would start trying to go through the rest of the book and see how many other times your picture showed up um, throughout the entire yearbook, whether it was clubs or sports or anything like that. Um, then, you know, my favorite part of the yearbook, especially when I was younger, is uh, our yearbooks always had, it was the only color section of the entire yearbook was like the year in review. It was all the things that happened in pop culture and sports, uh, politics, whatever it was. And it was cool to see everywhere that we had been in nine months. It was cool. But without a doubt, the most important part of the yearbook, the part that we all got excited for, was signing one another's yearbooks. That's, that's why you got the yearbook. You didn't necessarily get it for the pictures. You got the pictures right after picture day. You didn't need it for that. We got it so that we could sign one another's, so that we could remember the people that we had spent that year with, that we could remember all that had happened over the course of that year. Um, it's, it's a memento. That's why you buy this. You know, I was looking through my senior yearbook actually not that long ago, and I know this, you know, some of you, it's, it's much longer than that, but I am quick, I'm one year away from my 10-year anniversary, and so, or 10-year graduation anniversary, and so I um, was looking through it and just you know, it's a, it's a memento. It reminds you of where you've been. It reminds you of the friendships that you made and the things you experienced. Um, and some of your friends, they might have wrote, written a lot in your yearbook. Some of them only wrote a sentence. But no matter how much or how little someone wrote in your yearbook, they always wrote one thing, and that was, have a great summer. No matter what else they said, they always said, have a great summer. That was kind of the staple. And the, the idea with have a great summer is this. It's I've spent the last nine months with you. We've done tests together. We've been in gym class together. We've gone on trips. We've gone to the principal's office together. We've gotten in trouble. Whatever it is, we've spent the last nine months together, but I kind of recognize that I'm not going to see much of you for a little bit. There's kind of this idea that, you know, I know we've been close. I know we've been together. We've experienced a lot, but I know that for the next couple of months, I'm probably not going to see you. You're going to go your way and do your things. I'm going to do mine and I'll see you in September. And that's kind of the idea with the yearbooks. You know, that's you sign it to remember the year, but you also are kind of reminded that, you know, I'm not going to really see you much for the next few months. And I thought about that a little bit, 
And I, I kind of feel that in church, not just our church, in church in general, this time of year can kind of feel like that. It can kind of feel like we're signing each other's yearbooks. You know, we have spent since September, and we have together, and we've seen God move in powerful ways at our church over the last nine months. We've celebrated holidays together, Christmas and Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day. We've done outreaches and events, and it's been a busy time. But now we're entering into this season where it's a lot easier to kind of kick back, take the foot off the gas, rest and relax, and maybe not see each other quite as much, maybe not be together quite as much, take a break from services or from our small groups or whatever it may be. And there's just kind of this feeling in church world that we'll see you in September. Have a great summer, and we'll see you in September. And in no way, shape, or form is that to say that I think there's anything wrong with making summer plans or vacations. How many of you are excited for a vacation or something this summer, getting some time away? Absolutely. I am as well. And summer is an amazing opportunity to, you know, reconnect with our kids. You know, they've been in school for the last nine months. It's a great time to reconnect with them, make some memories, you know, spend some time with people you haven't seen in a while. How many of you, I'll have you raise your hand again, are going to go see some family this summer, maybe that you haven't seen in a while. Many of you are going to go spend. So there's nothing wrong with summer plans, but there is a massive difference between experiencing all the things we like to do in summer and missing out on what God has for us in our everyday lives. See, and I, I use summer more as an illustration of what can happen all throughout life when we allow small distractions to get in the way of what God is trying to do each and every day. There's nothing magical about summertime. <laughs> There's nothing that I think is super powerful. I think God wants to move in our lives just as much during the summer as he does any other time in life. But summer is a great illustration of what can happen in our lives when we allow distractions to get in the way of what God is trying to do. We've been saying this for a couple of weeks here at our church that we believe God has more for you than what you are currently experiencing. And for some of you, that's the greatest news you could hear because you feel like everything is falling apart and I promise God has more for you. God has something on the other side of that. But then others of you may say, well, actually, things are pretty good right now. Actually, things are okay. I'm going to challenge you and say, no, God has more for you. God has more that he wants to do in your life. And I believe that in this summer season and in all seasons of life, there are conversations that need to be had. There are lessons that need to be learned. And there are moments with God that we need to have that will mold us and shape us. And it is so easy during this time of, of the year, but really at any time of life, to allow distractions to take hold and rob us of what God is trying to do. And it's not always like sinful things. Like we're not going to really talk necessarily about the sinful things. We all know that there are things we do that are destructive and will pull us away from the presence of God. But we can even be distracted by good things. All right? We can be so caught up doing ministry that we forget about the one who we're doing it for. We can get so caught up in our trips and our family time and all the stuff we want to do that our walk with Christ actually begins to suffer because we have neglected our personal time with him. You know, I know I've, I've had that struggle in my life at times when I get so busy just with the things that need to be done that I miss out on what God has been calling me to do all along, the one that I'm actually doing it for. And so today I want to talk a little bit about distractions, about the things in life that pull us from what God is calling to. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible today, that's okay. It's, go, it's all going to be on the screen. 
But in Luke chapter 10, we read this very short story, only five, only five verses. Very short story between Jesus and a, and a family. But right in these five verses is packed so much um, just rich um, you know, lessons for you and I to learn. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and said, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And so to kind of like, you know, set the stage here for a moment, Jesus, as he often did, was traveling from city to city with his disciples. Now, the one thing we know about Jesus is that he didn't just travel with his 12 disciples. We only ever really talk about the 12, but there was also a number of other people that traveled with him. In fact, right before this story, we read about the 70 people that Jesus had sent out and had returned to be with him. And so we know that Jesus' group, all right, his entourage was a lot bigger than just the 12. There was a big group of people. And so they entered into this city, and they found Mary and Martha. And we also know they had a brother named Lazarus, who later Jesus would raise from the dead. And they, and, and they um, welcomed Jesus and his, and his followers into their home to, t- to care for them, to, you know, to minister to them in any way they could. All right, so it wasn't, sometimes we read this story and we think that like Mary and Martha were trying to entertain like a couple people. It could have been a very large group of people that they were entertaining. And as always, you know, Jesus would sit down and he would begin to speak and he'd begin to minister and he'd begin to help in any way that he could. And a crowd had formed and in that crowd was one of the sisters, Mary, listening intently at the feet of Jesus. But while the other sister, Martha, is running around trying to take care of all that needs to be done, all right, I've... Um, been around enough dinner parties and things to know when you are entertaining a large group of people, it is chaotic. It is stressful. Um, in my family growing up, um, it really was just the four of us. just my mom and dad and my sister and I. Most of our family lives away. So holidays were a little smaller for us. It was simple. Like it was, you know, nothing too elaborate. Just, you know, really fun, really intimate. But then I married my wife and she's got a very large Italian family. Very large. And... Um, I remember the first family gathering I went to with them was a sixth, uh, no, 13th birthday. 13th birthday and 75 people were there. 75 people. It was a whole new world for me. It was like this whole new experience. Um, and I've watched um, mostly as Linda's mom has kind of been like this, just running around trying to make sure people are taken care of. And that's kind of the way Martha was here. She's trying to make sure everyone's fed, trying to make sure everything's clean, trying to make sure everything is okay. And as you read this story, you can kind of feel the tension rising. You can feel her frustration because she's trying to take care of all these people. And all the while, her sister, who's supposed to be helping her, is sitting down listening to Jesus. And finally, that frustration just comes to the breaking point. And she doesn't go yell at her sister, which is kind of funny. She goes and yells at Jesus. She doesn't go say like, hey, you should come and help me. She says, Jesus, stop talking. Like, I need my sister to help. And she runs to Jesus and says, don't you care that I got all this stuff going on? Don't you see how stressed I am, how frustrated, all the things I have to do? Get my sister and and have her help me. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we spend most of our lives kind of like Martha, where we have a lot to do. And it doesn't always mean that it's a stressful thing. You know, there are certainly things like just obligations in life that we have to take care of, 
All right, we have to go to school. All right, or you should go to school. All right, um, you have to go to work. You have to earn, you know, a living. There are everyday obligations and responsibilities that we have. But then there are also just things we want to do, things we like to do. Summertime tends to lead a lot of those things, places we want to go, people we want to see, all the different trips we want to take. But then there's even the other distractions that sometimes we don't like to talk about, but they're the, the, the tragic distractions, you know, health crises in families, um, you know, a family that's falling apart or, you know, financial burden, whatever it may be. But there are all different sorts of distractions that are out there, all different things that we feel we have to do. And I don't know about you, but I have found that when I start to invest so much of my time in those other things and not in my relationship with Jesus, that frustration begins to mount in my own life. Because whether or not I think it through or not, I am actually beginning to look to those distractions as a source of life and a source of hope in my life. If I just do more to help my finances, my life will get better. If I just do more here or go to this place, my life will get better. All the while, Jesus is over here, just a few feet away from me, and he's the one that I really need more of. He's the one that really will provide life in my, in, in my, in my heart and in my soul. And when, and when we look to all of those distractions as our source of hope and peace, it will ultimately only lead us to great frustration. To a point where maybe we even begin to blame God and say, why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you here? And all the while, God is saying, no, I've been here the whole time. You've just been distracted. You haven't been focusing on where you're supposed to be. And so we see Martha, she gets angry, she gets upset, and she finally, you know, she bursts out at Jesus. And then Jesus looks at her in verse 41, and I like what he says. He goes, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I love Jesus' words here, because he starts out by saying, Martha, Martha. And what we know from Scripture is normally when a name is said twice, it's not meant to be like Jesus wasn't attacking Martha. He wasn't angry. He was trying to explain something to her in a very loving way. He says, Martha, you're distracted by a lot of things. You've got a lot of things going on. I see it. He wasn't downplaying her frustration. He wasn't saying, you know, those things aren't important. But what he's saying is you've got a lot of things that you're focused on, a lot of things that are distracting you. But I want you to know something, Martha. There's only actually a few things you need to be concerned about. But then it's almost as if he kind of pauses and revises and said, actually, only one thing. He says, there's a few things needed, but actually there's only one thing that's needed. And in that moment, you can imagine Martha and maybe anyone else there, they were kind of like, well, all right, what's the one thing? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm, I'm stressed, I've got all these things. What's the one thing? And what does he do? He points to the sister that Martha is mad at. He says, I want you to look at your sister who has spent the last few hours sitting at my feet, hearing my words, absorbing the truths that I'm speaking. And he says, she has found the better thing. She has found what is better. She has found what is most important. It's interesting, if you do a little study through the Gospels, you'll find that almost every single time Mary is referenced, it says that she was at the feet of Jesus. Almost every time. We, you know, some, one time we know that she was washing the feet of Jesus. Other times she was listening. But almost every time we meet her, 
we find that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it could be that Mary found out what you and I need to find out in that the only true source of hope, the only true source of peace is Jesus. The only true source of life is Jesus. You know, we know Mary's story. It was a dark past. I mean, God brought her out of incredible sin and incredible bondage. And it may just be that she realized that after she had tried everything else, all the other distractions out there, no one could do what Jesus could do. She found out that God was awesome. That's what she found out and that there was no one that could do what she could do. And so she made it a lifestyle to sit at the feet of Jesus, to enter into a deep, personal relationship with Jesus. And that's the point that Jesus is making to Martha. He's saying, you're distracted by all these other things, but I'm here to tell you about the one thing, the the only thing that ultimately will matter, and that is a deep, personal, living relationship with me. Not a relationship that is just an aspect of your life, but it is your life. It is the most important thing. He wasn't telling her that all of the other things in life were not important. But he was saying that if they are important, then you will focus on the most important thing, and that is me and a relationship with me and daily sitting at my feet and hearing my words. But then I love what Jesus said at the end. He didn't just say it was better. He said, and it will not be taken away from her. He says it will not be taken away from her. Isn't it funny when we, you know, most of us, we spend a lot of time planning vacations, okay? Um, Some of us, we spend months, some of us years. I'm a planner by nature. I think I planned my honeymoon for like 13 months. Like I was, I'm a planner. I like to get as far out as I can, but we put a lot of effort into our vacations. We figure out how we're going to travel. We figure out where we're going to stay. We figure out our food, our activities. I mean, we figure everything out. But this is so funny that as quickly as it comes, it's over, all right? It's done. You've spent all of your money, all right? It's gone, and nobody else remembers your vacation or cares. Nobody cares. Like, isn't it, isn't it funny? Like, you could go on a big vacation next week and come back next Sunday, and you could tell people about your trip, and they're like, all right, that's cool. Like, good for you. Like, nobody else really cares about your vacation except for you because it didn't affect anyone else. Like, we all kind of think, like, when we go away on vacation, the world, like, stops, and they're waiting for us to get home. But nobody really cares except for you. And then when you get home, all you have is, you know, some pictures. And I'm not saying that that means you shouldn't ever take a vacation. But what Jesus is saying is that everything in life that we get distracted with, the things that we pursue, they will be taken away from us. They don't bring life. He says only one thing can do that. No one can steal you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. No one can take away what God can do when you're willing to sit at his feet and hear his, hear his voice. No one can take away what can happen in an intimate moment with Jesus. No matter how difficult life may get, no matter how you know, strenuous the circumstances might be, no one can rob us of what he can do in a moment at his feet. And that's what Jesus is getting as he's saying, you're so distracted with things that yes, they might be important and yes, they might need some attention, but you're allowing them to rob you of what is most important of what ultimately we should be going after, and that is a relationship with Jesus. In Psalm 16, I love love these few verses. In Psalm 16, um, David writes these words, uh, 16.5. He says, You, Lord, are all I have, and you give me all I need. My future is in your hands. How wonderful are your gifts to me. How good they are. 
I praise you, Lord, because he guides me. And in my night, my, uh, my conscience, he warns me. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near and nothing can shake me. I love this scripture. And we're going to kind of just go through a few pieces of it. But I love how he starts. He says, you, Lord, are all I have. He doesn't say, Lord, you're all I need. He says, you're all I have. He's realizing in this moment that if I just say he's all I need, that might mean that you know, there's some other things that could get in. He's saying, forget all I need. He's all I have. That if, if I don't have him, I don't have anything. I could literally take every trip. I could pursue every goal. I could experience all that is out there that is distracting me. But I have nothing if I don't have God. He comes right out the gate. He says, forget all I need. He's all that I have. He's all that I, can, that I could hope for. Everything I need is found in him alone. And then I just like some of the things he says in there. He says, you know, want to know why you're all, my, all I have? Because my future is in your hands. It's not in anyone else. And nothing else is going to, you know, de- determine my future. Only God can do that. Only God holds my every moment and my every breath. I love uh, one of the, you know, that, that song is just so awesome. No, no pun intended. But um, one of the things it says in that song is, His grace is why I'm living. You know, he's the reason I'm here. Every moment, every hour is because he holds my future. And he continues on. He says, he says I praise you because your gifts are wonderful. No one can give the way God can give. No one can sustain the way God can give. But he says, and in the night, my conscience warns me. In the darkest days, none of my other distractions will be able to sustain me. Only a relationship with God that is found at his feet can sustain me in that moment. When temptation is rising up, when those, you know, those negative thoughts that we've struggled with begin to rise up, all of my distractions are useless in that moment. Only my walk with Christ can sustain me in that day. And I love how he ends it. He says, and nothing can shake me. Nothing can shake me. Because my God is all that I have. And if God cannot be shaken, and he's all that I have, then I cannot be shaken when I'm with him. Because there's going to be storms in life. There's going to be difficult seasons. All right, just from the the flow of our service, you could just tell that many of us are struggling with storms right now, things we're going through. But my, my encouragement to you is stop looking to things to distract you. Just get alone with Jesus. Get at his feet and find that nothing, nothing can shake you. Nothing can overcome you in those storms. No. He says, Jesus is all that I have. I remember when I was in, um, in youth group here at church, um, most of you guys know Pastor Joe Parker. He was my youth pastor, and I love Pastor Joe. And, and Pastor Joe was always great for, like, good illustrations. And I remember an illustration he gave us, and um, very simple illustration. I, I don't even know if anyone else would remember it because it was a very quick illustration. But for whatever reason, it has stuck in my mind for, you know, 12, 13 years but he, he had us look at a picture of a wheel. I think we actually have a picture today. But he, he gave us a picture of a wheel, just kind of like this, more of an old-fashioned wheel. And he says, you know, imagine this wheel is your life. Imagine that the wheel is your life, and imagine all of those spokes that are, that are coming out from the center, that those are the elements of your life. You know, their money, you know, marriage, relationships, whatever it may be. All of those different elements are some of those spokes. He says, the problem for you and I 
is that we consider our relationship with God just a spoke. It's an element. It's a piece. When really our relationship with God needs to be that centerpiece that's holding all of the other things together. That's, that's, that's what a relationship with Jesus is meant to be. Where he really is all we have. Because you could have God as just a spoke. But, if that, but anything other than God is not strong enough to hold everything else together. And so many of us, we think that if we just figure out our financial situation, that that will hold everything up. If I just get my marriage stronger, it'll hold everything up. If I get that promotion or that job, it'll hold everything up. But what Jesus is saying is, no, if you pursue me, I will hold everything together. I will strengthen and I will sustain you. And I'll make sure that you're okay. Now, the ironic part of that is if you're actually willing to make Jesus the center, you might lose a couple spokes. (laughs) You might find that you have to get rid of a few things that are really distracting you from a personal relationship with him. But that's what Jesus has been trying to push. He tried to get it to Martha and he tried to get it to so many other people that a relationship with God was not meant to be an element of our lives. It was meant to be the center. It was meant to be everything because only he is strong enough to sustain our marriages. Only he is strong enough to help us make wise decisions. You know, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's, it's just been on my heart and I, and I ask the Lord to strengthen me in this every single day. That if I, you know, there's like a logical kind of pattern to this. If I want my marriage to be stronger, do I need just more time trying to fix it myself or do I need more time with the one who created marriage? <laughs> do I need more time with the one who knows what my spouse truly needs and what I need to do? If I really want my finances to honor God, should I keep trying to figure it out myself or find out from the one who has commanded me to be a good steward, who has actually given me everything that I have? If I want to be a greater parent, I spend more time with the greatest parent, and that is our God, the Father. And in every area of our lives, the more we spend with Jesus, the more we remove the distractions and give our time to him, the more we will begin to see breakthrough in those other areas. You know, if we want our marriages to be successful, the greatest thing we can do is get alone at the feet of Jesus. And so many times we have that backwards. We think, oh, this is going wrong or this, I need to attend to this or whatever it may be. When all the while he's saying, no, you get alone at my feet. Hear my word, absorb my truth, and I will lead you, and I will strengthen and uphold you each and every day. It reminds me a little bit, and we're not going to read this story, I'm just going to kind of reference it, but in Mark chapter 10, there's a very famous interaction between Jesus and a young, rich man. And I've always loved this story because I think it's, it's just so powerful, and the rich man, he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, Master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus knew the, the, heart, the heart of this man, and he gave him exactly what he needed in this moment. He says, follow the commandments, and you will have treasures in heaven. You know, he just said, follow the commandments. And the boy looked at him, and he said, well, I've done that for my entire life. I've always done the commandments. And then Jesus says, you're right. But there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing. And he says, take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And then he says, and then follow me. And it says that the boy walked away sad because he had many, many things. And what I, what I love about this is that right before Jesus gave him the hard news, it says Jesus looked at him, loved him, and then told him this. 
Jesus, you know, sometimes we read this story and we feel like, like Jesus was kind of coming down hard on this guy. Jesus loved him so much he was willing to tell him what was really important. And he says, listen, you've got a lot of distractions. You've got a lot of other things that are pulling you away from a relationship with me. And a lot of times we read this story and we instantly just think it's kind of about money. And so if money's not an issue for us, we just gloss over it. But really, Jesus is making a bigger point here. And the point is that if there is anything in your life that has become more important than a relationship with me, then you have nothing. You have nothing if you do not have me. That was the point that Jesus was making. And for some of us, it could be money. For others, it could be we're consumed with our own anxiety and our own fears. Others of us, it might be we're consumed with you know, our health condition. And again, it's not that any of those things aren't important. Of course they're important. God cares very much about your family. And he cares very much about your health. And he cares very much about how you use the resources that he's given. But what he's saying is, if any of those things are drowning out my voice, if any of them are pulling you away from my feet, then you have nothing. And that's the point that Jesus was making to this rich man. Is that you can't allow anything to become more important. I have to be central in your life. And I know for, for some of you, maybe if you're newer to faith or if you're you know, maybe just exploring this, this, this sounds intimidating. What makes Jesus so great that I should make him the center of everything? And all I can tell you without going into a whole nother sermon is that no one has done to save us what Jesus has done. That while you and I were lost in our sin on a one-way trip, to eternal separation from God, Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped into the gap. And he came and he gave his life on a cross. He took on our sin that we deserved so that we might have a hope of redemption in this life. And he rose from the dead. He conquered death so that you and I would never have to fear it and you and I would never have to face it. And now he stands sitting at the right hand of God to lead us and to guide us. He has given us his Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. That's why Jesus is this amazing because no one has done what he's done. No one can do what he can do. And that is why making him central to our lives shouldn't seem a burden to us. We should rejoice and say, I have searched the world and found that nothing can satisfy. No one can do what he can do. It is Jesus and him alone. Amen. And that is why, that is why we can't afford to neglect our time at his feet. That's why we can't afford to let the distractions, whether they're good, bad, indifferent, to remove us from his presence and to cause us to miss out because I believe God has a new thing that he wants to do in all of our lives. And again, I, I used summer as an illustration in the beginning, but again, there's nothing magical about summer. I don't think that like, if you all of a sudden spend more time with Jesus in the summer that that like, does something that won't happen the rest of the year. But it's a great example of what happens when we can get distracted. This is a season of distractions. It's easy to pull yourself away from church during this time of year because the weather's good and the pool is open and vacations are happening and people are having parties. It's easy to remove yourself. But just as easy as it is to remove yourself, it's that easy to walk away from what God is trying to do in your heart and your life. And we may think that I can take some time off and just jump back in, but it only takes a week. It only takes a moment of neglecting our walk with Christ 
to begin us on a path of ultimately walking away from him altogether. And so you and I can't afford to disengage at any season of life. Every season we should be hungry for more of him. When we're in the valleys, we pursue him. When we're on the mountains, we continue to pursue him. We never become satisfied. And I can promise you that as long as you keep Jesus central, you'll never be satisfied because he will always be pushing you to something more. Maybe satisfied is not the greatest word. We're always, you know, Jesus can always satisfy, but we should never settle is probably the better word. We never settle for where we're at because we know God has something more that he wants to do in our lives. And so... Coming back to our whole theme, I hope that we have a great summer. I do. I hope that you enjoy some rest and relaxation. I know I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of rest. I hope you reconnect with your families, you know, and you reconnect with your children who have been in school all year and you make memories that last forever. You know, I know for me, some of my greatest memories of my childhood came from summer, from time with my family and time with my friends. And so I hope that, you know, we find some of that. But I hope that it's the greatest summer ever, not because we filled out everything on our summer bucket list, but because this season we experienced God afresh and anew in our hearts and lives. That's, that's what I hope is why it's the greatest summer. Yes, in September, it's, you know, we're all going to want to talk about the cool things we did, but my, my prayer is that in Proverbs groups and Bible studies and our conversations throughout this summer, we're just talking about what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives because we saw him afresh and new. And I hope that for the entire year that we learn to put Christ center, that we allow him to uphold every other part of our lives and we learn to take those distractions, give them over to Jesus at his feet and allow him to guide and strengthen us each day. And so as a church, we have done everything we feel we can do to help all of us remain engaged this summer season. In a time when it's easy to be distracted, we've, we've tried our best to make sure that we can remain engaged during this summer. Pastor Kurt, he already kind of referenced, we're going to have a big Sunday next week. You know, if you've already got plans, cancel them because it's going to be way better here, um, way better here next Sunday. And it starts because we are baptizing 10 people into the family of faith next Sunday. And uh, I, I cannot think of a better way to spend any day than celebrating those who have been raised from death to life. I mean, I can't think of a better way to celebrate. And a little bit of a plug, if you're here today and you've recently followed Jesus, you know, we want you to come and be baptized next Sunday. You know, see us at the hospitality. We want to help you there because um, we're believing for something great next week. But right after that, Pastor Kurt talk, we're going to have our summer kickoff. We're going to have bounce houses. I think Pastor Joe told me we got three bounce houses coming in for the kids. Ice cream truck, we'll have the food, we'll have games. I know I've been talking to a lot of people. They're going to bring some of their own games. And we're just going to celebrate kicking off the summer together as a church family, not as individuals, but as a family together. But next Sunday is also exciting because we're going to begin. It's on the card that you received when you came in this morning. We're going to begin a brand new sermon series that's going to take us through, um, through August called Songs of summer. And all throughout the summer, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms 
Every Sunday, one of our pastors is going to come up and he's going to just share from the book of Psalms, you know, something that will challenge us, something that will inspire us. And so we're excited. That's going to take us from next week through the end of the summer. It'll make a great opportunity for you to invite some friends and family to come and experience um, what God is doing here at Bethel Church. We referenced our church luau. Um, Many of you guys have been there before. It's an exciting time. It's a great time of fellowship, connecting with each other as a family. And then we talked again about Vacation Bible School. And Vacation Bible School is an amazing opportunity that we have to reach the next generation. You know, VBS sometimes gets a bad reputation, not necessarily here, but maybe nationally, because a lot of people view VBS as just like free childcare, that people will just bounce their kid from Vacation Bible School to the next one, the next one. And my personal opinion is, so what? They're here, and they're going to hear the message of Jesus. I don't care if someone's dropping them off just so they don't have to hang out with them for two weeks. If they're here, you never know what God could do in our vacation Bible school. And I'm believing that this year's VBS is not just going to be fun. I'm believing God is going to move in the lives of these kids in some powerful ways. I'm I'm believing that kids are going to feel the call of God on their life during vacation Bible school. And we want you to not only register your kids, be part of it. Be part of making a difference. I can't think of a better way that you could spend that week than investing in the next generation and making a difference in their lives. In the end of July, uh, many of you know, um, every couple of months we take one week during the year and we spend time praying and fasting as a church together. Um, And over the years, we have seen God move in powerful ways during this week of fasting and prayer. Um, We've seen God move in marriages. We've seen God move in families. I remember the last time that we had prayer and fasting, um, it was on a Wednesday night, and we had at least three reports of people whose physical bodies were healed that night and have not experienced the situation yet. Again, we've seen God move during this week of prayer and fasting. But not only in individual lives, we've seen God do things in our church. We've seen God birth new dreams and visions. And again, for the last about two months or so, we've been talking about this vision to reach the next generation. And we're going to believe that during a time of prayer and fasting together, God's going to maybe make that clear. God's going to start showing us what that looks like as a church and as individuals. And I just, I believe that some of you have been praying for breakthrough for a long time for different things. This could be the moment. This could be it right here. Spending, I mean, it doesn't have to wait till then. It could happen today. I'm just saying, don't miss out on what God could do in one week of praying together as a church family. So be sure of that. And then the last thing, and we're, we're always excited for this, we're going to close out the summer with probably our biggest event of the year, and that is our annual Serve Week. About three years ago, we began Serve Week, and if you're unfamiliar, basically Serve Week is eight days of nonstop volunteer projects. Last year, we had over 60 projects, 450 volunteers, and we did everything from provide groceries to those in need. We helped um, rebuild facilities at local schools. We helped build facilities for um, uh, Teen Challenge, which is a drug rehabilitation program. Um, We've helped at-risk mothers. We've helped at Highland High School. We have just done everything we can to spread the love of Jesus in a tangible way throughout Serve Week. And we don't make it a big deal that it's from Bethel Church because it's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God. And what is so cool is that through simple acts of serving, we have had the opportunity to present the gospel to people who have never heard before. Last year, um, my wife and I, we were able to go on the Serve Project to the Ronald McDonald House. 
Many of you guys you know, know about that. If you don't, basically the Ronald McDonald House is in Camden, and it is a place for families whose children are in like CHOP Hospital or any of the kids' hospitals, and they've basically run out of money. They've basically, all of their savings, all of their funds have gone to their children's medical bills. They've got nowhere else to live. They've got nowhere to go, and they keep them there at the Ronald McDonald House. And we were able to go there and provide breakfast for them. But even more than that, we were able to have conversations with them. I remember there was a woman there, and she was from, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she was from Japan. And she had a husband and three children in Japan, but it was her and her infant daughter alone here in, in Camden. And she had been there for six months, and it was looking like she was going to have to be there for another two years. Separated from her family. No real hope in her daughter's situation. The doctors didn't know what was happening. And she was just lost. Barely spoke any English. She's in a rough area. She was afraid to really go anywhere. She was trapped here. But for 15 minutes, we got to sit with this woman and share with her the message of Jesus. We prayed with her. And with tears coming down her eyes, she just thanked us. And she said, I'm going to consider the things that you've told me today. That's what Serve Week is all about. That's, that's what it means to be a servant of Jesus. And so, mark these dates down. On July the 28th, that's when we're going to make the Serve projects available. You'll have the opportunity to sign up for them. But these are just some of the things that are going to be happening over the summer that are designed to help us remain engaged as a church. To, to, to keep us from drifting too far and getting caught up in the distractions. Because I believe God has something for you. He has something for our church. He wants to do something new. And it would be a shame if we just took a break for a couple months and then came back in September and expected God to honor it. I believe he'll honor us if we continue to push forward his mission and his vision that he's given us as a church. And so again, I, I hope, I really do, that we have a great summer together. I hope that you, again, find that rest that maybe you need. I hope that you make those memories. I hope that it's a wonderful summer, but not because we did all of the things on our list, but because we experienced God's power in our lives and in our community. That will make this a great summer. Amen? Let me pray for you here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day, and we thank you for all of the ministry that you've allowed us to be part of over these last you know, nine months or so. We thank you for the 30 people that were saved on Easter Sunday morning. We thank you for the mothers and fathers that we got to pray over.